Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Comeback Stories with my man, Donnie, as always. Always. Uh, always want to show you love off the top. We have an amazing guest with us today. Uh, she is uh, a WNBA All-Star, two times, as a matter of fact. Uh, played for the Minnesota Lynx, was a rookie of the year, All-American in college at UConn, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, we could go all day with her accolades. Uh, we're excited to have Nafisa Collier today. Nafisa, welcome. Hey, thanks, guys. No, it's really dope to have you here. Here on Comeback Stories, we love to dive into your entire journey and start from the beginning. So we want to know what was growing up for you like? Oh, man, we're getting deep early. Yes. <laughs> uh, growing up, I grew up in a small town in Missouri. Uh, so uh, actually, it was really hard for me to get into basketball. I played a bunch of sports before even going into that. Um, I tried to join a basketball team kind of late for you know the town I was in. I was in fourth grade. And in the beginning, no one wanted me on their team. They already had, like, their cliques in the city. Um, again, kind of that small-town vibe. And so uh, we just created our own team. We got a bunch of girls from, like, the surrounding towns, and we killed it. Of course, those teams later on asked if I could be on their team, but it was too late. We already had, like, a championship team. We were traveling all over the place, uh, winning tournaments, going to nationals, things like that. Um, and then... I moved to St. Louis when I was 16. I joined Incarnate Word. We won three state championships. That's where UConn saw me, was playing with them. Uh, went to UConn, got recruited there, won one chip my freshman year, and then lost three straight years in a row in the Final Four, which is tough. Um, and then, yeah, I got drafted to Minnesota at six. Um, one rookie of the year. It was, yeah, it was tough. I mean, all like transitioning from uh, college to I mean, high school to college was really tough. My freshman year was definitely like the hardest thing I've had to go through basketball wise. Just mentally, it's so hard, especially at UConn. You just like everyone going there is the best from where they come from. And so um, I knew it would be really hard physically, but just mentally, it was a whole different game. The way that he prepares you. And, and it's the reason why there's so many good UConn players in the league and there have been. It's because, you know, he takes you in the trenches first to like build up that mental stamina and to make you strong and Freshman year is like when it really hits you, so it was tough. Um, but getting through that, it was a it was a roller coaster. I had started, I lost my starting spot. I played horrible the whole year, and then finally, it kind of just clicked my uh, when we got to the tournament. Um, and then, you know, I had a good three years after that. And coming into the league, I kind of felt that slump again, like I had my freshman year. Um, but thankfully, I was able to like kind of recognize that a lot earlier than before. And I again just flipped that switch. And then, you know, the rest is history. I got rookie of the year. I got, I was an all-star that year, um, never looked back. Well, I mean, in order to write a comeback story, it sounds like you've bounced back from multiple adversities just from what you've described so far. Like, what do you accredit that to? Do you credit that to certain principles? Do you credit that to uh, just gaining experience and those, val those failures being valuable? What do you, um, your resilience, what do you attribute that to? Uh, I think just competitiveness. I mean, as athletes, we're so competitive and that drive to win is so like fierce and ingrained in you. So I don't know where it came from. Both my parents are competitive. So I don't know if it was bred into me or like nature or nurture. It was both because they're competitive. And then just everything we did, was like, you had to win at it. And so I think when you get through those challenges, it's just, it's not the end. It's just, how am I going to get over that instead of, it doesn't even cross your mind to stop. So when you have that mentality, it'll take you a lot of places. It'll take you pretty far. No doubt. And I feel like, you know, we get introduced to 
adversity as far as, you know, on the external and the internal um, from a very early age. Uh, growing up for me, the first adversity I faced was people told me I was not black enough. Um, so I had this mental narrative from elementary school moving forward that, you know, this is, this is going to be tough for me. I got to perform for all these people. I got to show them something that I'm not because I don't feel like I'm enough. They tell me that something is, is wrong with me. Um, was there any type mm -hmm. of pain or uh, any type of event that uh, harmed you anyway, shaped you in any way from your childhood or as a teenager that uh, affected the way that you looked at life going forward? Absolutely. I mean, I'm the same way. My dad is African, super, I mean, like he's black. My mom's white. She comes from a dairy farm in Missouri. So really opposite cultures growing up. And it was the same. I was, you know, too white for the black people and too black for the white people. And I went to a really, really small town when I was in kindergarten. It was the only place that my parents could find for like full day childcare pretty much because the kindergartens in our town, for whatever reason, it was like a half day. And I was the only black person in the whole school, K through 12. And my first like awakening, I guess, with that would be, we were on the slides, I remember, I guess I was like six, I was in kindergarten. And these two girls that I thought were my friends, they were like, we can't play with you anymore because you're black and we're white. And I never even thought about that before. I mean, I guess when you're so young and it's normal growing up with a black parent and a white parent, you don't see that as like, obviously you see other people look different, but you're so young and innocent at that age. You don't think, you know, you don't think difference is a bad thing. You don't realize that in people's minds, there's a divide. And so that was kind of the first time that it, I mean, I remember it still. So obviously it was like a core memory for me and, and it affected how I kind of saw life. I guess it was just like, it took away a little bit of innocence in that. I hear you on that. Do you do you feel like basketball, in a sense, gave you a freedom from those type of environments? Because I know there may have been emotions feeling like, I don't know how I can win here with uh, having both of me being both of these. Like, you feel like you may have to choose a side, perhaps. Is that something that um, you feel as, as, a, as a mixed human being? Like, do you feel like there were times in your life where you had to choose a side? And with that, do you feel like basketball was an escape or a freedom or just a, a deep breath from that? Um, I think a couple times just uh, in like a negative way, I think growing up, you know, you really want to fit in. And again, like I said, and it sounds like you maybe went through the, the same thing. You're too, you know, white for the black people, too black for the white people. You felt like you had to conform in some ways. So I did feel like growing up, you know, I'm trying to be what other people want me to be. And thankfully, you know, I have a really strong family support and they instill that confidence in myself where I, I got over that. And I saw the value in just being who you are and try, not trying to fit into a mold that other people have. And then I think more recently with like, you know, we have this big social justice push and you can, you can like use that, how we're in the in-between, we can be an advocate for, you know, the, our side. And we can, I don't know, I think it's just easier to see both sides and to kind of be a bridge between two such opposing um, arguments. So I don't know, I think it's, you can use it to your advantage as well. Absolutely. That's that's a really uh, powerful perspective. Um, we talk about the early pain, but we like to, you know, complement that with, you know, who were the, the first teachers? You, you sound like your parents instilled a lot in you, instilled a lot of confidence to be your be yourself despite um, the narratives that may have been hitting you from the outside. Uh, what, what were they teaching you from a very young age and what do you value the most about your childhood experience with them? Yeah, my parents, I mean, from a really early age, just taught me like the value of the different cultures that I have, because especially growing up, um, we had like the Africans, my dad's side, and all of them were African, you know, and we had the 
farmers and like the like country people on my mom's side and all of them were that and I was the only one that was mixed so they kind of taught me to embrace that like I have the benefit of having two cultures and seeing such different like scopes of life um, that a lot of people don't have so I think they just taught me like the value in that um, and so I mean I love my parents I could talk all day about them but I just you know I thought they did a really great job of turning something that as a kid you might see as a negative being different and making it into a positive and saying like this is what makes you special this is what makes you who you are I'm going back to how you were commenting, first of all, with the basketball team, your first crack at basketball and trying to get on a team and there wasn't any availability on the teams in town. So you created your own team, which I think is a great mm -hmm. lesson. And it's very easy, especially at a younger age when we don't have the support, maybe, or the tools to actually be able to take action and not be the victim um, or, you know, just basically pay, take personal responsibility to, to make things happen on your own. And then to be on the slide and the kid, the slide and the kids not um, allowing you to play with them. There's a lot of, I mean, that's that's like traumatizing in many ways. But what I'm hearing in a lot of your answers is just a, a greater perspective, and maybe having those two cultures and having that that foundation of your parents has given you that perspective. But I mean, do you have any other like? Um, can you point to anything else that is that has allowed you to kind of see the world that the way it is today? Uh, I really attribute that to basketball. I've been able to see and meet so many different people through it. Like I've been able to travel to different countries, travel around the world. And I think that, I mean, just naturally gives you a really good perspective because you're not stuck in one place. You know, even growing up from when I started in sixth grade traveling AAU, we're traveling all across the country. Like you get to meet different people. So I think naturally that just makes you a lot more well-rounded. Um, and then also just being on a team, it like you have to work with people whose personalities are different from yours, but also allows you to work with people who like lives that you've never seen. Just especially growing up in a small town, I wasn't exposed to a lot of different lifestyles. Like we all pretty much were like grew up the same in the same area. Um, and so being on different teams where people from different towns and then as I went to college, people from different states, you know, different countries, things like that. Uh, just seeing how they grew up and what their experiences were like, it just allows you to see the world in a different way. And it, it does give you that bigger perspective of where you grew up is not how everything is. It's not mm. the way that everything is. We talk a lot about self-love and loving ourselves and not being good enough. And I think in my experience as a coach and just even my own personal experience and anybody I've ever talked to, there's this story of the not enough story, um, which manifests in many different ways. How do you feel like I mean, it sounds like you very easily could have had that story when you're too black for the white and too white for the black people that um, you could have that not enough story kind of take you down a dark road. Was there any times where that not enough story was kind of hijacking your life into a, a messy place in your mental health? So I guess I'm curious, how did it help you? And then how did it maybe mm -hmm. hurt you having that story or, or just going through what you went through? Um, I think... Uh so far as like as a kid through high school, um, like I said, I have a really uh, strong family unit unit and then also being good at sports like that kind of deters that also because, you know, I'm the best in the area that I came from. So everyone, of course, like wants to be your friend when you're the best at something. So I think the first time I had like a real challenge with that mentally was my freshman year of college. I mean, it was so tough, like the way that they try to prepare you at UConn is like he changes the entire way that you think about the game. 
So for example, in high school, if we were to do like a backdoor cut, it would be a play. There is no like thinking on your own, like creating kind of thing. And then at UConn, our offense is basically like an outline circle. Like you have general rules and then you work within that. You have to, you know, basically expand your basketball IQ, um, which was just, it was so hard to do because physically you're exhausted. Like you're a freshman, you're playing with the best players in the world. Brianna Stewart was my senior. So, you know, you're coming to a super prolific um, organization. And so there's just a lot of nerves on that already. And then on top of that, you're asked to like, you're exhausted. It's been three hours you're playing and then you have to think at the top of your game. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be, you're not, it's not good. So I think just having that pressure, like it was a lot. And I really, really struggled my freshman year just mentally. Like for some reason I couldn't remember a play and I've never had a problem with that before. And then once that started, that just got into my head and it just like spiraled. And that's when I was saying like my freshman year is such a roller coaster for me. And Finally, I just got to the point where, like, I'm done feeling like this. I hate this feeling. Playing is not fun for me anymore. And so I just let go. And once I did that, I became the player that I knew I could be. Um, and so for me, I've really taken that lesson in everything. Like, when I try to be perfect and I try, I put all this pressure on myself, it's never good. When I do what I, I put in the work, I know how good of a player I am. When I rely on that, um, it's just, it's, I just found that it's always so much better for me. You may have just answered my next question, but I was going to ask you, what, what do you think was the biggest thing holding you back? Was it the perfectionism that you were just talking about or was it something else? It was definitely me, just the pressure that I put on myself because, again, I keep saying this, but everyone at UConn is the best, from where they best of where they come from. And so I just assumed, you know, like, yeah, it's going to be hard, but I'm a good player. I'll be fine. And when I wasn't, it just messed with me so much. Uh, because I know like my level of potential and when I'm not living up to that, it's just so frustrating. And so that just got into my head and it just kept like stacking on, stacking on. And I think I just sm snowballed it in my head. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get out of that loop until I just, until I just got to the breaking point where I was just, you know, I'm done feeling like this. What was like the lowest point? What was it? If you can take us back to that, that moment. I, I do remember, uh, because I had already gotten to like that bad mental state pretty much. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know if we had an injury or something. I got like a starting spot. I had played a couple of good games in a row and that like added pressure to me. I'm like, okay, I'm a starter. I'm a freshman. I'm playing with all these great players, coaches, you know, he has this faith in me. I need to perform well. And I had sucked. And we were at Memphis, I remember. And I lost my starting spot at halftime. And <laughs> I was just like, shit. I mean, it was, I mean, that was really tough because I knew I was playing bad. I knew I didn't deserve to have that spot, which is just even worse and even worse feeling because I'm like, I know I could have it, but the way I'm performing, yeah, I don't deserve it. And then he took it. Uh, and so I think that just kind of, that was definitely like my low point. I gotta, I gotta stop because she said, um, when she talked, when Nafisa, when you talked about um, letting go and I'm tired of feeling this way. So when I let go, you know, these things started to happen. My my journey really started to commence among from me being a better player, my IQ growing. And I feel like there's such a like a life lesson in that because I feel like so many people want to be um, so great or a master at what they do uh, so quickly that you know if they're not that exactly when they want to be that, um, they put so much pressure on themselves. I I've done the same thing on numerous occasions, and it's like 
when you allow yourself to say, I'm going to let go of the timetable on when I become great or the timetable on when I improve and just be present to this journey and enjoy it. Like, no wonder you were able to blossom from there because then from there, the discomfort and those, those challenges, like being benched at halftime, you could be able to start to use those to your advantage as opposed to holding them over yourself and just walking under that dark cloud at all times. So I feel like for the people that are listening, like to hear what you said there and to really take that in is such a valuable life lesson. And I just wanted to stop and just acknowledge that, that you said that. Well, I think you phrased it in a great way. Putting a timetable on it is really what messed me up. Cause I'm like, I need to be good now. But when you know the potential and you're confident in yourself, like I know I can get there, but I don't need to do it tomorrow. You're absolutely right. Like what stressed me out was putting a timetable on it instead of just like enjoying the process and taking the journey to get there. Uh, Just, yeah. So I liked how you put that. So so much easier said than done. Yeah. And it's such a valuable lesson of the the idea of like people think the, the pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow, but the pot of gold is actually the rainbow it's the journey Mm -hmm. and i think the attachment to um um, what i'm gonna get when i do this work instead of like who i'm gonna become because of this work and i'm just going back to your adversity and i can't even imagine freshman year being thrown at the highest level in that environment with that coach um what a gift to be able to go through all that yeah i do it again it was the hardest point in my life but i would do it again and it made me the player that i am today so what lessons, like what are a couple of the lessons that you would take maybe from your years, your, your college years or that specific year or that, that circumstance? Like what lessons are you still carrying on today and maybe they've turned into tools or a mindset? They absolutely turned into a mindset. And that's kind of what I was talking about with my rookie year. I had a horrible training camp. I scored like six points in all our training camp games combined. And I felt myself kind of reverting back to how I felt as a freshman, just like not confident in what I'm doing, that snowball effect of like, I need to be good now. Um, And thankfully I was able to like catch it and like realize that I'm doing the same thing that I did as a freshman. And thankfully it didn't take me seven months to get out of it again, only two weeks. But um, whenever I feel myself kind of get into a rut like that again, the lesson that I learned as a freshman absolutely comes into play. And I just, it allows me to take a breath to know that I've been here before and that I've gotten out of it before. Um, And it gives me the confidence to know that, you know, to be able to see, like learn about myself a little bit more and know what um, those triggers are for me, I guess, and to be able to pull myself out of it. I feel like there may have been the same opportunities for you to go back into that mindset. When we talk about like uh, you coming back and playing, uh, after your pregnancy, uh, which we can, I want to mm-hmm. ask you questions about that as well. But, um, you know, what, what, what was, what was that like, um, as compared to these other situations where there's similar thoughts that you had to, to battle through, because it seems like from college to, you know, the, the, the time in training camp, your rookie year. And now, you know, after your pregnancy, you come back and you're bouncing back. And I'm sure that those thoughts may want to creep their way back in. Like, does it get easier or is it, do you just, is it just something like you get stronger along the way as you continue to battle these thoughts? What, what, what was your take on that? I think the thoughts get easier because I'm able to like catch them. But for my pregnancy, I mean, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. I thankfully, you know, knock on wood, have been really um, lucky with injuries. So this is the first like true rehab comeback that I've had to do physically. And oh my God, <laughs> don't recommend. Like it is hard. <laughs> And I thought as an athlete, I would just be able to snap back, honestly. And no, that's not what happened. I mean, 
it was really, really tough. And then I came back to the team six weeks after I gave birth. Um, so yeah, it was just like the hardest process that I've ever had to go through physically. Uh, and I think the fact that it was so hard, like right from the beginning, kind of leveled my expectations a little bit more. And at that point, my only goal was to get on the court, like be around the team, because the only reason I came back was to be around Sylvia. It was her last year. So I wasn't expecting to come back and win MVP. And I think that might be the difference. Like the other times I'm healthy, I know what I can do. I'm just not living up to my own expectations. And for this one, I'm like, there's no way. Like, you know your body. And I know there's no way that I'm going to be able to be back in 10 weeks, you know, how I was before. So that definitely helped just the mental side on that end. But, you know, you know, she's nine months old now. And it's taken me probably a good eight months to get to feel how I did before. So during that time was probably the hardest mentally. Not because there's a timestamp. I mean, there is. This season's always looming over your head. Like, I need to be ready. I need to be ready for that. But it's just like, am I ever going to be ready? That's kind of what it feels like. Because it's such a long time to for your body to get how it felt before. So just getting over that mentally was probably, you know, the longest stretch that I've had to go through where I'm like, you know, can I do this? I feel like I'm going to ask something where uh, it's going to take us maybe somewhere we've never gone before. But when Darren was asking about what it was like with the mental thoughts, but it reminds me of a conversation I was having with my partner the other night about hormones and like dealing with all of that and how much of a mind fuck that can be. And I remember an old um, ex that I had that was going through a process with hormones and doing the um, whole um, 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 harvesting her or getting her eggs. And I just remember the emotional roller coaster ride that went on. I remember one time she, cri <laughs> she cried because I used her yoga mat. And I just don't, we don't understand that as, <laughs> as guys, we don't understand that. Like I'm taking it personally, like what's wrong with you, but there's actually right, like a right. full, so I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm just curious, like, and we have a lot of female listeners, so maybe we can, and this is great education actually for the male listeners to be able to yeah. understand that process, but for you to go through that and then also creating this comeback to get on the court and then be a mom, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? <laughs> the hormones are crazy it's not your fault let me just tell you <laughs> like because there's instances like the yoga mat where you're like okay I know I'm being irrational but I can't help it but there's other instances where it's just like you feel like you're 100% right and then looking back now that I have like a clear head I'm like I was acting crazy but they mess with your head I mean obviously the hormones like it's a chemical imbalance in your brain that's not usually there so you're crying over everything like you're irritable over everything so, and then it starts to feel normal. I'm like, is it me or is it the hormones? I don't know. <laughs> so I think it was probably rougher on Alex because <laughs> he's the one that had to deal with it. But yeah, the hormones are crazy. And there's so much stuff I didn't know either. Like there are hormones that relax your entire body, which was one of the reasons why it was so hard for me to get back in shape. Like, so your pregnant belly, your abs are on the side like this. So they're that spread out and you have to get them back together where they were, which is not easy. And then breastfeeding continues to have that hormone release in your body, which makes everything lax. So you have no fast twitch muscles. So that means you can't jump. It means you can't go side to side to defend. Um, and those don't go back for a full year um, after you stop breastfeeding. So technically my joints are still not as like strong as they were before, or as fused together as they were before. So it's just like such a process. And there's so many different hormones doing so many different things. It's just, it's a lot that I didn't know either. 
or the women are the real heroes of this world. I keep thinking, oh, like, for sure. man, we, we, <laughs> oh, for we sure. got it pretty easy over here. Oh, for sure. No doubt. <laughs> um, were there moments in your pregnancy where you had maybe like a, a fear of missing out on basketball or, you know, was there pressure like you uh, making this decision? Like, one, is this something that um, a lot of uh, players in your league fear doing to, to start a family? And what was it like mustering up the courage to, to do it? Um, if you were really having these thoughts about, I don't know, what, what's this going to do to my career? Like, what was that like? Yeah, so um, Mila was like a happy surprise. And so it's not like I planned her and was thinking about the season. But as soon as I found out I was pregnant, like calling my coach is one of my first thoughts because I knew she had to think about the season. So it's definitely a thought in your head. Um, and I mean, it's actually a problem now. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen like the drama surrounding Dierica in just like it's hard because we have a new CBA that is has often uh, awesome benefits for mothers. So like I got my full salary, even if I didn't play a game, there's other accommodations, but it's still like the money comes off the salary cap for us. So it's still like a, it's a bad thing for teams because you're having a player that's not playing, but you still have to pay for them. And so it could still have like repercussions for the player because maybe I don't want to hire a player that's in childbirth that is straight or that, is thinking about having a child or that, you know, all these things, they have to take that into consideration now, which is bad for the players. So it's still like kind of a bad thing that you have to think about. Um, so, I mean, that's something that we have to change in our league. And yeah, I mean, it's always in the back of your mind. If you want a child, these are the things that you have to think about because it could have negative, you know, a reaction with your team or potential teams. For uh, maybe a future WNBA player that's going to say, hey, I'm, I'm still going to go this route despite what a team may think or despite what repercussions there are because I want to start a family. How would you help them? What words would you give them to be able to focus on the blessing that it is as opposed to maybe mm -hmm. the pressure that is uh, pushing them on the career side of their life? Yeah. If they want to have a family, 100%, I would encourage them to do that. I mean, she's, you know, the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it's so special. And there's so much more to life than basketball in your career. So 100%, I would say, don't let that be the reason to stop you. Um, it's definitely something you have to consider, but it shouldn't be a deterrent at all. And that's kind of my point with where we need to get with our league. Uh, it's so special to have a families and um if they are worried about the team, I would say maybe try to plan it so <laughs> you can be back for the next season. Uh, but I don't know. I would I would definitely encourage them if they're thinking about it because it's just the best thing ever. What are you learning? What are you learning from your daughter? What are some lessons from your new, your new teacher? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I'm learning that she controls the entire household. <laughs> and I'm learning that... Uh, I guess just like how to let someone be themselves entirely because with a person like, I mean, she's a person obviously, but like with an adult, you can like converse back and forth. Like, why are you doing this? Or what's your motive behind this? And with her, she's just 100% herself. Everything she's doing is like based off an of instinct. So it's just really kind of cool to see like how she goes about her day to day things. Like, why are you doing that? And it's just, it just really makes you appreciate who people are and just like, I guess who they are in like their purest sense, because there's nothing that's happened to her to mold her mm. like into a personality yet, but she has so much. So it's just like, it's so, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know how to explain it properly, but it's just really cool to see like a personality that hasn't been molded. It's just like who she is. 
I don't know if I explained that right. Yeah, no, I feel that because like I'm I'm sitting here. I'm not a parent, but I'm thinking like if I were to have a kid, like I feel like that would be the real true test of like unconditional love because it's like this little cute little person can do nothing for me. They cannot like, and I'm, I'm caring for them, all their needs, all the things that I have to do for them and serve them without getting anything in return. And I feel like that's such a lesson right there in love and acceptance of people um, where they are in their situation. Like we have grown people out here that are, you know, babies and toddlers and emotional intelligence. But we, if we have to accept these people where they are, even though, you know, they, they may not be producing a whole lot in their lives. Like, you know, it, it, I feel like something like that would be the ultimate mm -hmm. lesson in teaching you, like, I can love this person even though they can't do anything for me because we naturally, we love people when it's like, oh, they, they got our back or they can, you know, give us a hookup or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but it sounds like. Not only can they. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, not only can they not do anything for you, but they literally just take and take and take from you. <laughs> right. And then you'll just, you don't care. Like you want them. You want to give them everything that you have and you, the love that you have is so unconditional. So it is, like you said, just so pure because they're not going to give you anything. It's just, but then the way that they look at you, it feels like the best gift in the world. So it feels like they are giving you something because mm. the unconditional love, it goes both ways when, if you do become a parent, you'll know just like the way that they look at you, they feel that same love back and it's awesome. Yeah, I had, I had done some deep medicine work a year, a little over a year and a half ago. And one of the pre like integration questions was, what part of you do you want to reclaim? And for me, it was my chi my childlike heart. I feel like at some point, like I didn't really laugh out loud and it didn't feel natural to laugh out loud. And since then, kids, whatever age, younger kids, I live over on the beach in San Diego and watching kids on the beach and just they're my teachers of that whole idea of never losing your childlike heart. I think as we grow older and pain starts to happen to us, um, our emotional needs aren't met, we start to get hard and we start to close our hearts and protect. And what I hear you saying and all that, it's just that, that pure, that childlike joy, that unbound authenticity. They're not worried about what anybody else thinks of them. So there's just amazing lessons to be able to sit back and watch them. That's what I'm learning. And um, every time I see a, ch a child now, it's like I just see the joy. I see them making sandcastles or running away from the waves. And it's a great reminder. And it truly, truly has helped me. <laughs> Getting back to like your mindset, mental health. Uh, Darren and I are often talking about routines, rituals, habits. What does that look like? Do you have a morning routine? What are your like... Uh, your mantras, your affirmations, your anchors? Do you have a meditation practice? What does that look like? Um, yeah, what are your practices to keep your mind right? Yeah, I don't have a meditation, but I really need to. I've been thinking about it for a long time and I just really just need to pull the trigger. The problem is I am not a huge, I'm super go with the flow, but then having a kid like makes you not be like that. So that's another thing I've learned from her is like, you have to be on a schedule and it just really goes against everything in me. So that's been kind of the biggest adjust adjustment. And so now my morning looks like wake up around like five, five thirty, feed Mila. Um, you know, usually go to a workout, lift basketball, come back, take care of Mila for the rest of the day, you know, put Mila to bed. And then we kind of have my like me time again. Um, you know, I love like reading, watching shows and movies but my day, my schedule kind of revolves around her. So she's kind of the one that has put me on that now. Is there anything that you've gotten away from, like anything you'd like to be doing in your self-care practice that you're not doing now, maybe something you were doing before 
Um, and because you have someone to care for now and not, not, you don't have as much time, you've gotten away from that or anything else that you know you want to bring in that you haven't yet? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to bring back naps. I was a big napper. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do try to like, because I know that mental health is such a big thing, I do try to keep like some of my same practices like skincare. I try to make sure that I'm doing my skincare every day. And it just makes me feel a little bit better just to know that I'm taking care of myself in that way. Um, there, of course, there's a lot of stuff that I used to do before that I just don't have time for anymore. I mean, I could spend a whole day like I love binging shows. I could spend a whole day binging a show before or like reading a book um, or napping. Uh, so just things like that, that, you know, I used to do those before. But I do try to take like some time in the day just for myself. Um, I would love to add meditation to it, though. You might be talking to the right person. I might be able to help you out a little bit. I teach yoga and meditation. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that when I tell, it's usually men that I tell that I teach meditation and they'll say, I can't meditate. My mind never stops thinking. Or they say, I can't meditate. I don't have the time to meditate. But meditation actually gives you more time because what it mm -hmm. ultimately does is cultivate more awareness. And then you start to notice the things that you're that are stressing you out that you don't have control over. Um, and the awareness is the first step in creating any kind of change in your life. And so when we are aware that our mind's going down some road and we're worrying about something that happened yesterday or we're trying to change somebody that we don't have control over, the awareness brings us, we don't waste time on it anymore and we, we don't waste energy. So the hack is it's actually, it actually gives you more time and opens up your perspective and opens up your life because you're going to, you're going to be more aware ultimately. I might have to hit you up after the show then. Yeah, I got you. That's the, that's the, that's the man right there. <laughs> Trust me. Um, I, I want to ask you, like you said earlier, um, you know, life is a lot more than basketball. How do you balance that going forward as I'm sure you still want to have longevity in your career, but at the same time, you know, having your daughter in account, um, what, do you, what do you imagine the future for yourself looking like, whether it be certain projects or certain fields, uh, certain passions? Like, do you – what have you come up with or thought about so far as what that might look like? For sure. Basketball, like career wise, is still my number one thing. I want to play for as long as my body will let me. And so that's kind of my number one goal right now is to make sure that I'm putting my body in the right, like uh, physical shape, I guess, to be able to do that because longevity is, you know, so hard. It's like the hardest thing. So um, I'm doing rehab almost every day on my body, just making sure that everything's up to par, you know, obviously eating healthy, working out, things like that, because, I mean, my number one career goal right now is basketball related. And then other than that, like after basketball, like that's the million dollar question. I just I want to find what my passion is. And so I've, you know, been exploring a different a lot of different kind of career paths, I guess, because I want to. I want to be able to do something after I graduate or graduate after I retire that is like meaningful to me and not just a job that I have to take because I'm done playing. I love that a lot. Um, I'm really interested in uh, knowing certain people's leadership styles. You're somebody that's accomplished a lot, but at the same time, you've also overcome a lot mentally and, and overcome a lot of different situations of adversity. So how do you go about trying to be a leader and encouraging these young players that may have a two week stretch in training camp like you had in your rookie year? Like what, what kind of things do you try to instill in them? How do you try to show up for them along their journey? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I haven't been in training camp since I was a rookie. So this will be my first one wow. <laughs> since then. Yeah. So we'll see how my leadership is in that specific 
like instance, but um, you know, before, like, especially in college, I would say my leadership style was um, show by example. Uh, but as I've come into the league and, you know, become like more of a captain and like focal point for Minnesota, I know that my leadership style has had to grow. And so just becoming more vocal, it's not like naturally for me to be that kind of person. But over the years, I feel like I've grown in that area. And it's something that I'm really going to have to put to the chest this year because I am the main person on our team now. You know, Sylvia's retired. And so that falls on my shoulders now. So I'm excited to be able to answer your question better after this season because I'm going to try to implement everything that I've learned into this point into my leadership style this in this season. I love that because, I mean, that's, I mean, if there's anything me and Donnie stand on, it's that none of this stuff that we preach about or that we talk about or discuss, like, we don't have any of this stuff completely figured out. We're continuing to learn, continuing to practice along the way. So uh, definitely excited to see uh, how that happens for you going forward, you know, uh, really become a fan of, of the W over the last couple of years. Real good friend of the show, Kelsey Plum. Um, really just being in that environment, seeing uh, your team come to town, really all the teams in the league. Like, uh, But I say all that to say I'm excited to see uh, what you do and the imprint that you have on the young players on your team. Awesome. Thank you. How do you, being a leader now, um, how do you deal with pressure? Are there tools? How do you work through it? Who do you talk to? What does that look like these days? Um, I've actually never minded like outside pressure before. I think I'm definitely my hardest critic. Uh, so outside pressure, I think that just makes you better. Um, so I actually like when we have those kind of pressures and the way that I think I deal with it is, I don't know, especially I think when I get off the court, I just really decompress. So I don't want to watch, especially if I'm going through a slump, like the way that to get me out of it the fastest is I don't want to watch like film. I don't want to watch basketball. I just want to separate myself from it. And it allows me to recharge. So if I ever feel myself coming under too much pressure from myself or, you know, if I'm playing bad or something like that, I think just like separating myself from sports for a little bit has that's what I found is like kind of recharges my battery fills up my cup again where I'm able to go to practice the next day and attack it like I understand what I did wrong I don't need to harp over it and just like start the new day I'm going back to what you said earlier I might be biased about the meditation thing but I'm thinking back to what you said about you will play um, for as long as your body allows you to and I think this is the power the essence of meditation and mindfulness and really understanding the power of the mind-body connection because our body goes along for this like emotional roller coaster ride by the madness that happens in our minds. Mm -hmm. And so this, the essence of these practices are to really use the mind to work for us and not against us and to be our best friend and not our worst enemy. And I think a lot of times that voice, that inner voice, that inner critic who puts that pressure and that perfectionism on us can drive us and it gets us to the top, but how do we make it sustainable then? And I think that's why we want to put more emphasis on taking care of our mind and taking care of our mental health because there's no, there's no separation. So this isn't just yeah. to sell you on meditation. I think it's for anybody, any high performer, anybody that's um, feeling banged up in their body. A lot of times, you know, that big ass knot we get in like our shoulders and our neck, that's not physical. It's like it's coming from our thoughts. It's coming from our mind. It's coming from stress. And all stress is really wanting the moment to be something that it's not, right? So it goes back to that like awareness of noticing when we're trying to control something and then we just got to let that shit go. And it's cool because Darren and I named this podcast Comeback Stories and it has like 
multiple meanings, but the, a lot of the essence of meditation is to come back. So it's not about not thinking. People think it's like, I'm going to sit and not think. But if you try not to think, you're just going to think more because what we resist yeah. persists. <laughs> it ends up causing more. So you just sit back and observe what you're thinking about. And it starts to create awareness because we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's what the research says. And we and 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday. So basically, we're thinking about the same shit. And the things that have us stressed out are the same things that we were thinking about yesterday. But it's only through awareness that we can actually change that um, and find a little freedom from like those patterns of thinking. So yeah, mm. we can definitely talk more. I can talk about this stuff all day long, mm. but it's just um, the power of the mind. And if we do want to play and we want our bodies um, to be sustainable and last in life or on the court, then we got we to protect our peace and protect our mind. I totally agree with you. I think the game and any game is like 80% mental, 20% physical. You see so many players that like they might not be the most talented, but their confidence is so, I mean, Kelsey Plum's a great example. Like she's so confident in everything that she does. It's made her a great player. Like she's obviously athletic and talented, but there's players who are more talented, but she's better than them because of her mentality. So I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think you see it so many times in sports, like, if you're mentally there and you're confident in what you're doing, it can make up for so much. Yeah, I mean, look no further than this guy over here in his brown shirt sitting at the table. I mean, that made the entire difference in my career. I mean, you can ask people, like, I, I remember uh, one of the first games that I had was a big game with, like, the Raiders or, uh, or like, a big nationally televised game. This was in 2020. And some of my teammates from Baltimore were like, about time. Like, you used to go for, like, 200 yards in practice, like, regularly. And I'm like, and I look back at that, I'm like, the talent – was there to be able to produce and make an impact then, but everything going on in my mind, everything going on in just my spirit overall was not there. And to to be able to step away and to get those things intact and to be recentered and then to come back into the world with a purpose and to come back into the game with humility and uh, a newfound confidence in myself to be able to just go through the process. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, like when you were a freshman, like to be able to let go and allow things to happen based off the way that I work and I approach it, bam, like things take off. You know, the platforms yeah. come, the brand comes, the, you know, the numbers come and everything like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's all internal, man. It's all internal. Yeah, as I've witnessed mm -hmm. you on that journey, I feel like the two things that I've noticed the most that have helped you along that journey are learning to love yourself which I love that the fact that we talk about this all the time. And I mention this often and it makes me smile every time. Like that's kind of my thing, like my brand. I have a retreat that's called Love Yourself. There's shirts on my website that say that. And this just wasn't the way that I was raised. And it makes me super grateful to have, you know, share this platform with Darren, who for many of the world, they look at a football player like the masculine of all masculine, you know, this manly man. But we're not, we notice we're not even really talking about the actual sport. We're talking about, everything else but that so loving yourself and then i also think um figuring out like your purpose beyond the sport right so it's like you do so many other things with your with your music with the podcast with your foundation with recovery that it kind of takes the pressure off and you're not so over identified with the performance of the sport and your whole happiness is based on if i do this then i'm I'm good. So that's what I've been seeing from my perspective. Man, I appreciate that. Um, 
Nafisa, where can uh, people find you? I mean, I, I'm, I feel like I've grown a lot just in, in talking to you and insp- inspired by your journey. Where can people keep track of you on social media, things that you have going on? Uh, where can people find you at? You can find me on Instagram with uh, Nafisa24, and then I have a media company with my husband called Through the Lens. It's for athletes. Just basically, it's like a place for athletes to take back their power in a way. Um, where they can host like all of their content and reach their fans more easily. Uh, it just allows them to have a lot more access and control when it comes to their personal brands and making money. Can you close this out and maybe just tell us like, what would you say to somebody that is struggling right now? Maybe athlete, maybe non-athlete. They know they're struggling. They're stuck, but they don't know what, it, what to do about it. Like, what would you tell that person? I would tell them to just like take a step back from the situation and um, try to do something else. That's what always works best for me, Uh, specifically like in basketball. If I'm struggling with that, I try to do anything not basketball related and try to just get out of that headspace for a little bit. So do something that brings you joy, whatever that is, you know, reading, going on a bike ride, going to a movie and just um, kind of step away from it for a little bit and then come back to it with a new focus and like a renewed energy. That's always helped me. So, so beautiful. And I think that's what I see when I hear your story and you sharing is actually what's coming up for me is perspective. And that's what happens when we take a step back. We can take a step back and see the bigger picture. And I just want to acknowledge you for your perspective and how far you've come in your story. It's been awesome to to have you on the show. I'm super inspired and uh, excited to talk to you more about meditation because actually meditation helps you with perspective also. But I think you've got that part down, but we're always leveling up around here. I need some meditation, so I'm definitely going to be hitting you up. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been amazing to have you on the show. I feel like there are women that can learn and be inspired by you from childhood to motherhood and everything in between, success, failure, adversity. So uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, uh, being open on here and sharing about your experience. We're grateful for your time and uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. I had a good time. No doubt. Thank you. We out. What's up, Comeback Stories family? It's Donnie dropping in here. So did you know that Darren and I's relationship started by me being his personal development, mindfulness, and mindset coach? I want to let you know about both my one-on-one coaching program, The Shift, and my group mastermind, Elevate Your Purpose. These coaching programs are specifically designed for people who are ready to take the next step in their purpose and level up their career, personal finances, and have more connected, deep, and meaningful relationships. My gift and part of my purpose is to help others take that next step in leveling up their lives so that they can have a greater impact on the lives of others, create success that's sustainable yet evolves and grows, and help build a legacy that will outlive your life. If this is calling you, just go to DonnieStarkins.com and apply for either one of my programs.